Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed in Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are in the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. It's the first full week of December 2022, and the vexing question facing lawmakers right now is the impact of an omnibus spending bill versus a continuing resolution, or CR, to fund the government by the end of the year. In point of fact, Congress has until December 16th to enact a final fiscal year 2023 spending bill, pass another CR, or risk a government shutdown. So what is the lame duck session of the 117th Congress going to do? Here to bring us the very latest on what's at stake and what's likely to happen are TCS senior policy analysts Josh Rasool and Wendy Jordan. Here we go again, Steve. Buckle your seatbelts. This spending sleigh is going to get bumpy. All right. All I want for Christmas are my top funding priorities. Well, not so fast. Piling all the work at the end of the year is exactly how you land on Santa's naughty's list. Why? Because funding priorities go right out the window when talk of a year-long CR starts taking hold. Josh, break it down for everyone. What are the budget implications for taxpayers involved in the choice between an omnibus and a long-term CR? Well, it's a little bit of being between a rock and a hard place. Neither is ideal. But I think an omnibus is less unpalatable than a CR. Both of these are a failure in process. So an omnibus is not going to be transparent. It'll be thousands of pages long. It's going to be made hopefully a week before Christmas or possibly just a day or two before Christmas. So there's going to be absolutely no time to read this thing. All kinds of writers can be added on. Uh, these are policy writers, spending writers, things that people have not seen. Uh, and so this really puts a lot of power in leadership and in the committee chairs at the expense of the rest of Congress. That being said, CR, it's that and worse. A continuing resolution will lock in funding at last year's level. And that's not what we need in a lot of places. And there's also, there will be a series of anomalies that the administration will request and the committees will give them, but that's likely not inclusive of everything that needs to change. And it doesn't get a thorough debate. The anomalies list will not get a thorough debate. It's certainly not from the entirety of Congress. So when it's all said and done, here we are a quarter of the way through the new fiscal year and you get your final spending allotment if you're in an agency. But you're a quarter of the way through and you learn you're basically in suspended animation under a CR for a whole year. So, you know, either one isn't good. And we've talked about process before. So these are both products of a bad process. But I think in the end, an omnibus is a little bit better than a year-long CR. And by the way, federal agencies... They're already, they have already submitted their fiscal year 2024 requests to the White House. So how can you possibly make a reasonable request or projection when you haven't even finalized this year's spending? You can't. Right. It really penalizes the agencies and, and, and all of government. It's a really crappy way to run a railroad. So 
This is Senate Appropriations Chair Patrick Leahy and Ranking Member Richard Shelby's last turn at getting spending bills enacted. Both decided not to run for re-election and retire at the end of the year. Don't they want to wrap up the final fiscal year 23 bill before they leave the Capitol Hill forever? Yeah, they absolutely do, Steve. You know, Senator Leahy and Senator Shelby have been members of the Appropriations Committee between 30 and 40 years. And appropriators are a pretty clannish bunch. They're their own tribe on the Hill. There's the Democrats, the Republicans, and the appropriators, right? That's the old joke. Um, so they care, uh, all the appropriators, not just the chairman and the ranking, really care about finalizing a their bills and doing their constitutional responsibility uh, as Congress. And they don't want to abdicate that responsibility. And I think it, it's more than just a personal pride issue for the two of them. I think all appropriators want to get this done. Fun fact, Budget Watchdog AF listeners, um, Senator Leahy is a big Batman fan and actually appeared in one of the Batman movies, uh, standing up to the bad character in the last Christian Bale version. We're not intimidated by thugs. So anyway, just nerding out a little bit there. Okay, so (laughs) I I saw that House Minority Leader McCarthy, the putative leader of the House Republicans next Congress, and that's a whole other story, that whole— soap opera that's going on in the Republican conference, is pushing to get Republicans to punt the spending bills into next Congress. But do they really want that? Well, that's politics, isn't it, Steve? I mean, I I think it's a little bit of vote no, but hope yes theater. Dealing with the FY23 spending bills next January is going to be really, really messy and would probably result in a shutdown. I don't think Republican leadership wants to have a government shutdown be the first thing that they, quote unquote, accomplish uh, when they're in leadership again in the House. Uh, and I have to get over my my bias, my personal recollections of what split government used to be, which was split government meant that lawmakers were motivated to compromise to get anything done. Uh, but it's been a good few years since that was the outcome of a divided Congress. Now it seems like, unfortunately, the goal of some politicians is simply to throw a spanner in the works. Yeah, and we need to remember that right now this spending debate is being wrapped up in the discussion about what to do with the federal debt limit. That's right. I mean, the debt limit, that seemed like a hot topic for a minute there uh, and might have actually been resolved in the lame duck. But uh, where does that stand? Well, there was chatter about using the lame duck that we're in right now to increase the limit. Uh, And that was proposed by a number of Democrats to avoid a potential fight in the next Congress uh, because we are or they are running out of time. So last I saw, there are there was a report that said, I think we're going to run up against the federal debt limit in early 2023. Um, But the government can use various they call them extraordinary measures uh, that have been employed numerous times in the past that can push any actual breach to actually reach the debt limit to sometime in the summer or even October. And I got to say, 10 months from now might as well be 10 years the way Congress runs. So this um, debt limit issue has, at least in the immediacy, receded to the back. Got it. Debt limit. That's an issue that we'll cover. We'll need to cover in a future podcast. But as uh, Budget Watchdog, all federal listeners know, the debt limit is about enabling the government to pay for spending decisions they already made. So back to those decisions that are currently being made. You're listening to Budget Watchdog All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. I'm your host, 
TCS President Steve Ellis, and we continue now with Wendy Jordan and Josh Sewell, TCS Senior Policy Analyst. Okay, Wendy, who gets hurt the most? Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin seems quite worried about what the non-budget deal or even a long-term CR could mean for the Defense Department. I see that the DOD officials have compiled a list of dire consequences if the military is forced to operate under a one-year stopgap funding bill for the first time in history, from aid to Ukraine to procurement of the new B-21 stealth bomber. The warnings, along with a letter from Secretary Austin to Congress, reflect increasing alarm in the top ranks of the Pentagon. So what gives, Wendy? Well, I'll start, Steve, by saying that I agree with the Secretary that everybody is hurt uh, by a lack of congressional action on both the policy bill and the spending bill for the Pentagon. Uh, But one of the biggest issues is procurement programs at the Pentagon. If you think about how many things the Pentagon is under previous contract to purchase, those really big programs in the contractual arrangements, they have a schedule for periodic progress payments. If the contractors are in compliance, having to do with production schedule and other aspects, the Pentagon needs to make those payments and they need to make them on time or they start paying penalties. Uh, but if the government's operating under a CR, they can't pay out money at a faster rate than they were paying in the previous fiscal year. So uh, if they do, they might end up in violation of one of our favorite topics at uh, TCS, the Anti-Deficiency Act. So I get what um, Secretary Austin is saying, but uh, isn't that true for the rest of government? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it ain't just depending on that buy stuff. So, I mean, every federal agency is going to be procuring something. And granted, USDA doesn't procure nearly the amount of stuff uh, in dollar-wise, as the Pentagon will. But you have these decisions being made through all these agencies. And it, uh, the inability to, to do that procurement on time, uh, it, it goes down to all kinds of businesses, including small businesses. And so, but also there's the, the various agencies involved in, are involved in contracts for infrastructure. You think about this, um, you're, they're going to go through and trying to spend to allocate a lot of money from bills recently to build infrastructure. And so you can't go in through these contracts and start these contracts if you don't have your new contracting authority. And, and another thing is just there's dozens and dozens of grant programs. And so small grants, big grants, you name it. We're not going to be getting uh, investments in, again, infrastructure, general procurement, but also in some preparing for natural disasters. So uh, we've got all these kind of issues here. Uh, And again, just the ability to plan and think about what to do next year is already being impinged uh, right now because they don't know what they can spend this year. And it's really kind of a cynical ploy in the fact that, you know, you, you feel like, you kneecap government so that it can't run efficiently, and then you complain about government being inefficient, you know, and, and, and it really, in the end, it's about Congress getting its job done. Well, speaking of uh, Congress getting its job done, what else is going on right now? This is more about what's not going on on the Hill. It is another issue that's important to all agencies, like Josh just was talking about uh, contractual obligations hitting all federal agencies. But I'm going to use the Pentagon as an example And that's the Senate holdup on confirming nominees to senior Biden administration positions. There are 11 nominees for senior Pentagon positions who are currently being held up by some senator for some reason. Those reasons are often completely unrelated to the duties of the nominee being held up. 
some of these folks are being held up for the same reason that it appears the Pentagon Policy Bill, the NDAA, is being held up. And that is the issue of a mandate for all military service members to be vaccinated for COVID-19. Um, there's a, a number of senators, a number of House members uh, who want that um, mandate rolled back and are holding up action on both the Pentagon Policy Bill and on a number of nominees unless or until that mandate is removed. There's another set of reasons that some nominees in the Pentagon are being held up. Certain senators in particular want more information. They want a briefing. They want a report. It's a little unclear to me exactly what they want. I, I My guess is a classified briefing and report on the evacuation from Afghanistan at the beginning of the Biden administration. But here's the deal. The Pentagon is a huge bureaucracy. And the SECDEF is being forced to operate without the Pentagon's nominees for several important jobs. Just last week, the Senate finally confirmed the inspector general for DOD. That's a topic that we have written and opined about in the recent past. In the case of the inspector general, the Pentagon had been operating without one for more than six years. And they had a, an interim inspector general, but they had no permanent inspector general. Steve, do you remember that we talked about the audit during the last podcast? I do. I do. One of the major responsibilities of the Office of the Inspector General has to do with compliance with an audit. So it's nuts to take so long to confirm the IG in circumstances like this. Then there's the Navy, uh, which is operating without its senior appointee to be the comptroller and the, and the chief financial officer. Then there's the Navy. Uh, which is operating without its senior appointee to be comptroller and chief financial officer. Senior leadership positions in financial management are key to moving toward a clean audit opinion, but the Senate is still sitting on that nomination as well, and I just think it's crazy. Thanks. Uh, you know, and the uh, the nominee issue is very topical with the Senate runoff in Georgia. We all know that no matter the outcome of that uh, election, the Democrats will retain their Senate majority, 50 votes plus Vice President Harris as a tiebreaker. But if Senator Warnock wins re-election, the Democrats will have a 51-49 majority. And what does that mean, beloved podcast listeners? Every committee will have a majority of Democrats. Right now, they're evenly split. Going further, that means that legislation and nominees have an easier path to the Senate floor on confirmation. Okay, Josh, enough of that enough politics. Let's talk tax extenders, the gift that keeps on giving, even retroactively. What can taxpayers expect on this front? So the Tax Act of 2017, which was the tax cut bill the Republicans passed through reconciliation, there's a number of things in there that are expiring. One of them being a 100% bonus depreciation for equipment and machinery. Uh, and then also under the Tax Act, starting this year, businesses are required to take their research and development deduction over five years instead of 100% immediate expensing. And that's an important provision for folks because you can imagine if you had a, even with inflation, there are a number of highly profitable uh, corporations this year. So if you have a lot of profits and you make a lot of investments in your research and development for this year, you can then shield most of those profits uh, if you had 100% immediate uh, expensing. Having to take that over the next five years means you may have some years that your income's not as great over those years. Um, so those are two major priorities for a lot of business groups. Interestingly, with the R&D deduction, that was actually the expiration of the R&D deduction this year was included in 2017 to lower the projected cost of the bill. So 
instead of making that a permanent provision or even making it a 10-year provision, they shortened the lifespan of it to make the bill look less expensive to get it through the reconciliation rules partially. Uh, and so now here we are, oh, as if we didn't see this coming. Right, because Pudge um, Watchdog AF listeners, I mean, the bills are scored over a 10-year period. Uh, and so if you make a provision expire um, after five years, well, then it appears to be a lot less expensive than it actually is. It's sort of like the uh, your side view mirror in your car that, uh, you know, objects may be uh, closer than they appear. Um, and so these are provisions that are more expensive. And certainly the authors were hoping that, uh, you know, when the five-year expiration rolled around that it would just get extended. And so you kind of slip something in that's a lot more costly than, um, than it came out in, the, in that official scorekeeping. So, Josh, what, what else besides um, the big-ticket business tax expenders can we expect? Sure. There's a whole bushel of other things, uh, many of them from the pandemic era, uh, as if that's behind us. But um, for the most, at least the legislation addressing it, I think for the most part, the big ticket bills uh, will be behind us, it, it appears, for the next Congress. So you had um, a number of things that, are, that were specific to uh, pandemic response. Uh, and those appear, those will be expiring and there's some, there's some push to get those. The biggest one is the crowd favorite, I'd say the child enhanced child tax credit. Uh, and that is uh, one that if you may remember the current child tax credit, you get up to $2,000 per child um, under the, some of the pandemic response bills, it was increased to $3,600 for children under the age of six and then uh, $3,000 for children six and above. And so that uh, expired this year. So it does not apply to this tax year. And so there's been a significant push to get that extended for at least a year, if not made permanent. Uh, but it's a very expensive tax credit, um, similar to R&D and some of these others that can be very costly. And so it, it's, it's been bandied about, but I would, it'd be hard-pressed to get something that big, you would think, uh, at the end of the year. But uh, this is also a time for surprises uh, in the end of a Congress, when, especially when uh, power is going to change hands. And so there's also the usual suspects, which I think we should cover on another podcast one day uh, that come up every year or two years that get extended. The enhanced deductibility of racehorses. Uh, so you can deduct the cost of a racehorse over three years instead of seven. Really important to certain racehorsing states, namely Kentucky. Um, and there's some others. The rum carryover uh, is actually expired. So there's an extra $3 that uh, Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico can get on their rum carryover. Uh, these are some really fun things that we've worked on in the past that you should go to our website and really dig into the history of these programs that have been coming out every two years. These temporary tax cuts that come back every two years. Yeah, I remember the rum excise tax cover over was um, extended for a period, but I, I think it does end up coming up pretty pretty soon. They, they try to push that issue forward. What else is going on? Well, Steve, as you and I discussed in the last podcast, uh, the Pentagon policy bill, which is shorthanded in in D.C. as uh, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, is still hanging fire. Um, we believe we may actually have a draft of the authorization bill in the House Rules Committee being teed up for House consideration for the conference report, which would be the final step uh, prior to it going to the president for signature. Uh, as you and I discussed, it's been more than six decades where the NDAA has passed every year. I think nobody wants this to be the first year that it doesn't happen. 
not everybody has said that they should get the NDA done this year. Um, House well, Minority Leader McCarthy uh, had said that he wanted to push it um, and promptly got smacked by the Armed Services Committee ranking member, not physically, but rhetorically smacked down because let's face it, that's their bill and they want to get it done. And it doesn't right. matter whether you're in the minority or the majority, you want to get it done. And again, as as we alluded to earlier, the vaccine mandate uh, and possibly rolling back the vaccine mandate is all part of that debate. So you are correct. Not everyone in Washington wants to make sure it's passed. And there are a couple other things floating out there. There's a Water Resources Development Act that's floating out there. No pun the intended. Where, that's the bill where every <laughs> about every two years now um, they've been Congress has been passing this authorization bill, which covers flood control projects, our good friend beach nourishment projects, but also some water access. So in some of the drought areas uh, and general infrastructure when it comes to water resources. The one benefit of that is at least it has gone through committee. Uh, so there has been some transparency there, but it's going to it's one of these things where you're going to add another thousand or so, maybe more pages of text, legislative text onto this omnibus if it gets on there. And folks who aren't on committee probably haven't had much time to look at it. And besides that, um, I couldn't believe we went a podcast without talking about it. Some sort of emergency spending bill supplement could be added onto this as well. And that could cover spending for uh, Ukraine, uh, as well as most definitely some sort of natural disaster emergency bill, specifically for agriculture and drought and hurricanes. And last but not least, something that won't be on there, but if we have this conversation next year, the farm bill. So they are not trying to put a farm bill. They're not trying yet. But next year, if we have this conversation, there will be an attempt to jam a farm bill onto the omnibus. Prepare. Well, there you have it, listeners. The lights are still on in D.C., at least for now. But the prospect of missing deadlines to fund the government and policy priorities can have serious consequences. This is The Frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this. Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode, and I hope you'll meet us right here.